It is I, Jake Curtis, co-host of this podcast, Jubilee Street. I'm here with my co-host, Ian F. McCurtis. He's here to regale us with his hot takes. His, F stands for froggy. His, uh, his amphibious activities. He's, he's here to tell us about what's on his mind. He's, he, he's, he's the headmaster of headiness. Uh, give it up for Ian McCurtis, everybody. Welcome to Jubilee Street Podcast. Hello, thank Ian, you. Ian, what are we... Thank you for... I like this new trend of every week you welcome me like I'm getting a Lifetime Achievement Award. Well, you know what? We got we to gotta get more gimmicks, and you deserve it because you're my best friend. So I think everybody should give you an introduction all the time. Uh, Ian, why don't you tell the guests, the listeners, the fans, the KVs what we're doing this week? The song for this week, of course. Oh, I have like a halo around me on my background. I just noticed. The song for this week uh-huh. is As I Sat by Her Side. As I sat sadly by her side at the window through the glare. She stroked a kitten in her lap And we watched the world as it fell past Softly she spoke these words to me With brand new eyes open wide We pressed our faces to the glass As I sat sadly Now, I believe that this song is from seminal 2001 release you, No More Shall We Fart. the album is seminal. <laughs> it's a bit, but it's from uh, No More Shall We Fart, right? Yeah, No More Shall We Fart. <laughs> I, audience, listeners, I kid you not, I, I came up with that bit on like, uh, on like Tuesday. So, of course, No More Shall We Fart uh, from 2001. <laughs> I'm not fucking around. This is... The episode where Jake just steals bits from other comedians. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's my whole life. Um, I think the last song that we did from this record was God is in the House, right? Yeah, I think it's the only song we did from this record, right? No, we've done 15 Feet of Pure White Snow. Of that was course. one of our early episodes. One yeah. of the fabled first 10, I think. I think so, yeah. That was back in our... Um, if, if, if this were the X-Men, this would have been back when Beast was still... Uh, so young. You know, like white skin before he turned blue. So I'm trying to... Well, you got any, anything to bring up, Jake? I'm trying to think of where to start with a song that isn't completely uh, fucking deep in the woods of philosophy and... and uh, yeah, I mean, kind of just some general ideas. Yeah, give me a general um, idea to start us off to ease us in. So the first thing I, I always think of when we get into two, the uh, into the two thousands with Nick is September how 11th. much of an influence has yeah yeah I was probably ten years old I was te- I was ten years old when this record came out. First thing I think of is uh, how much of an influence did Warren Ellis have on this album? And Y two K because because for some reason <laughs> for some reason <laughs> for some reason I'm thinking about bread because you know rising yeast rising. Um, I thought you were thinking about raisins. For some reason, 
I thought that Warren joined the band around the time Blixa left, which was pretty soon after this record, I think, when they were working on Abattoir Blues and Wire of Orpheus. But I looked it up. I'm not perfect. I'm a new... I still consider myself a newer fan. You know, this is, like, going on a year plus of, like, really diving deep into Nick Cave's canon. I'll give you three years. You can consider yourself a new fan for three years. I'm going to give myself two years. Smoke ring for my Halo. And... I immediately when the song started, I was like, oh, Warren's got to be playing guitar here. Uh, it's such a Warren Ellis like guitar riff to me, like especially coming off of Jubilee Street but and then not. that riff on um, what is it? Uh, Higgs Boston Blues. But he's not right. It's I mean, Blix is still playing guitar at this point. Huh? And McHarvey. And McHarvey. So then I'm like, you know, the strings come in and this is a very like kind of, it's a great intro track. And I, uh, you know, perfect, moody, repetitive. Um, only nitpick is I, I think it kind of just ends and it would have been nice if they had a little bit more. I, I think that's some, that's just something about the bad seeds is they don't always have, like, I think music now because it's all supposed to be so seamless and easily streamed. Like this was this is this is a band from an era where like you just like make twelve songs, you arrange them as best as you can, but they don't always like seamlessly like interlude into each other. That was my only qualm. Is this just felt like such a like a moody like particular uh, feeling that I was kind of it's kind of jarring when it goes into uh, the next track. I don't know if this sounds like Warren guitar to me. I think usually in the Bad Seeds, if you get this like kind of acousticy chords being played it's usually always Mick Harvey I feel like he's the like bar chords guy it's uh, yeah I mean uh I think I just want it to be Warren because I love I, I love Warren's like style of guitar playing and like but it's hard to tell because he's so like indoctrinated in the sound to us now that it's like that's why I was like huh it's probably Warren just based on the, the style of the guitar playing but you know, I can't make those shots. And, you know, I, I, I haven't hit my three-year mark. You know, I'm still new. Well, I lost two years. So now we're going back. I haven't hit my two years. Well, that's my, so that's personal, and then yours is three. So for oh, okay, you, okay. it's three. For me, it's two. Yeah. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. It's worth uh, checking out live performances of this song before Blixa left. So, like, 2001 on the tour for this album. Because there's violin in the recorded version of this song, but Warren's playing it way more live. And then Blixa's doing lead guitar parts, and him and Warren are like going back and forth <laughs> between guitar and violin. And oh shit! I love, sounds awesome. Yeah, I just love. I love the time that Blixa and Warren were in the band together. Fuck! I didn't. I didn't even think to look that up. Um, the the my Google searches were so sparse for this song that I kind of kept it a little bit bo- a little bit more open for interpretation. Read yeah, through the lyrics. Lisa, and Lisa's doing all these leads that aren't on the recorded version, but are really good. I mean, this song, it, it, like, I, I could just I could hear myself like sh- like trying to shred over this song. Like, it is so like cascading it crescendos and then it gets quiet and then it crescendos again and just this endless like loop of like kind of anti-climax which you know the bad seeds love to do this is my shit like i've said multiple times i think this record and the boatman's call are like two sides of a coin and i much prefer this coin 
I'm here to fuck shit up, and I agree. This is just so much like, again, we said this the other two times on No More Shall We Part, but this album is like, it's like Boatman's Call, but it's a little darker, a little sexier, a little jazzier, which is like a little more complex. It is, and it, it's funny that it, it makes sense that this is the album that came after Boatman's Call because that record seems so contemplative, and it's like it's like an anti-party record. I think I've said in the past that it's very like, it's like the perfect record to put on based on the songs I've heard from it, which is most of them. It's like the perfect song to put on at the bar while you're like not quite too drunk, but you're just drunk enough that you can like grab somebody's like shoulder next to you that I don't, that you don't even know and just sing um, Boatman's calls into my arms. Yeah. It's, it's the album you put on at the end of the night on the bar. If you know Mm -hmm. you're going home with someone that night, this is the album you put on. If you think you're going home alone. This is the closer. This is the band that this is the album that they play for the closer. You know, this is like this is like the intense part of the show and then Boatman they play Boatman's Call while everybody's leaving the venue and there's still people drinking at the bar and stuff like that. Getting ready to fuck. Getting ready to fuck. That's weird. I don't usually say it like that. <laughs> I'm trying to try to say it normally again. I think it's try- a COVID vaccine side effect. Just trying to fuck. It's like when Peter says the sack race. So he, there's this like style of lyrics on this song that I usually don't like. It's this is about as prose as Nick Cave gets. Like I know. You could, you could it's just very read, spoken word. Yeah, you could just read these lyrics. You know, like it was a page of a novel almost, mm-hmm. which usually isn't something I'm too into. That makes me think of Bob Dylan. Makes me think of kind of stuff I'm not. Doesn't usually sit that well with me, but the weaker thans do that a lot, and I love the weaker thans. A lot of spew. Yeah, when a lot of spew can get old very fast, you know. Me without you. Can uh, it's not something I want every song, but this song I think it's done wonderfully. I think this is about as good as Nick Cave gets lyrically. It's it's really fucking good. It's great, great, great lyrics for this one, and um, dare I say, you can dare. And it's, truth or truth it's or more so uh, coming at you hot with another hot take from Jake and Ian. So hot take. Let me, let me, you know what? Sorry. Holding off on the hot take. Can I call let you me out say, real quick? Yeah. Jake uh, said that he would be sending me a hot take every single day about a week ago. Uh-huh. And he's done it twice. Because I told you guys, you have to text me. I told you, text me by 12 p.m. Like, I'm not an automated service. Like, if you want to hear my thoughts, you have to pay me or text me. One All or the right. other. Never mind. Uh, can I call I you out really statement. quick? Yeah. Call can me. I call you out really quick? I, I don't like that your favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle isn't Raphael. He's the best. It's Mikey. Yeah, of course it's Mikey. So you always pick. Raphael's my we second all know favorite. It's, we all know it's Leonardo. That's the best one. He has the swords, right? Yeah, he has the swords. He's yeah. the leader. And then, Leonardo and then the leader. Donatello's dope because he's got the, the staff. I always like to staff. He's the tech guy. The sides are stupid. But Raph is the one. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Um, he's the muscle. So, so I was doing a hot take. What was I saying? We're get, I'm getting too deep into the bits today. I apologize to the audience. This is um, why everyone who wants me to joke around more, this is why I don't because then I send Jake into this rabbit hole of bits and it's hard to get them yeah. out of it yeah it, it, i it, where am i comedy bang bang 
So I was talking about like a hot take. Um, shit. We're, we're going to have to edit some of this out. We're slowly crawling our way back to where we started. Uh, I know, yeah, you, I know. You, were, you were talking about hot takes, and then I sidetracked you because I called you out. Yeah, but what were we talking about before that? Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. I remember. Lyrics. I remember. I remember. I remember. Okay. All right. So, dare I say it, hot take, I think that this song is a precursor to White Elephant. And I think that because I don't really think that there's that many seed, bad seed songs that get political. And because of the video for this song, uh, which was directed by John Hillcoat, and it has a lot of like war footage and stuff like that, I think that this song, whereas I feel like the bad seeds, it's not necessarily that they don't take any sort of political stance, it's that they don't have to. No one has to as a band. I don't, I think if you're an asshole and you're like a fucking white supremacist band, then you have to, then you're taking a stance and you're a prick. If you're a band that wants to say something about Black Lives Matter, that's fine. I don't think that musicians and I don't think that people have to be mouthpieces. If you want to speak up for people who are disenfranchised and use your position, you can. But what I'm getting at here is I think in the video. What are you talking about the war footage? So there's like footage of like, different like dictators and stuff in that video. Am I wrong? They flash it very briefly, but like that and the sort of like apocalyptic nature oh, yeah, of the lyrics is. of this track. I haven't watched this I kinda, video in a while. I just think of the like light playing on his face. Yeah, you're right. So so what I think I don't think this song's what political I'm, at all though. What 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 made you think that? And God does not care for your benevolence any more than he cares for the lack of it in others, nor does he care for you to sit at windows in judgment of the world he created while sorrows pile up around you, ugly, useless, and overflated. So if we're looking at that particular set of lines in the 2021 era, this record's pre-9-11, which I think is worth saying, right? Did it come out before 9-11? Uh, I, I don't know, but why is that worth saying? Let's, I'm curious to see where so you're going with this because this isn't how I read the song at all. It came out bef- It came out on April second, twenty or two thousand one. So, what I'm getting at here is that the line where he says, "And God does not care for your benevolence any more than He cares for the lack of it in others, nor does He care for you to sit at windows in judgment of the world He created." What I think Nick is saying here is he's like, who the fuck are you to sit at your little pulpit and judge other people, to judge the beauty of this world when you're not creating anything at all that's worthy of, you know, being dissected at all? Like, I think this is like this metatextual, like, fucking diss. Like, this is Nick Cave dissing other artists and other people who might be shitting on him. Now... Listen, I, I'm, I, that's why I called it a hot take. It's probably a stretch. Also, you're probably wondering, well, Jake, why, it is this, why does this mean that it's political? Mainly, I saw it in that light because of the video that um, they made with John Hillcoat and the, the footage that they chose to reveal, but also how they eschewed different versions of Nick's face. He's doing that dance. There's all this like kind of fluttery, like, you know, um, editing and stuff like that. And to me, it just made me feel like how White Elephant made me feel, which was like off-center, weird, you know, a lot of the lines in the song, I think like given the wrong audience, kind of like Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine, 
you might get the complete wrong audience. Now, White Elephant is pretty explicitly like in favor of the protesters and not in favor of like police or, you know, Nick's never been like a pro-military kind of guy, you know? So there's that particular line that I wanted to bring up and there's another one that like gave me goosebumps. Okay, all outward motion connects to nothing, for each is concerned with their immediate need. Witness the man reaching up from the gutter, see the other one stumbling on who cannot see. So there's not a big grand political gesture being made here. So my last sort of like part of my like argument for that this is a political song or, and I want to make sure like I'm getting very out there with this. And if like, I'm not going necessarily by the textbook definition of what is political, but I think given the current context, listening to this song for the first time in 2021, 20 years after this record came out, uh, it's hard not to see stuff like this. And to me, I, it makes me think of like the bystander effect and um, that woman who got like raped and killed in New York and like no one did anything about it. Kitty Genevieve. Um, can it, yeah. Um, it makes me think of like people who, like I said earlier, like they're sitting at their computers at home and they're calling some like really amazing woman a bitch, but she's out here like directing movies, writing TV shows. She's got like three kids. You know, she's got a boy, you know, she's got a, like a boyfriend that she take helps, you know, that she's dating, you know, taking care of to some extent, you know, we take care of our loved ones. Like she's out here working hard. And that's what I, I that's what this song made me think of is there's like this anger in the, in the, in the way that the band plays. Nick can remain monotone in this, in his delivery and very rarely change the lilt of his voice. But the music just, it's like that song King Park by La Dispute. If anyone's not heard it, you can go check it out. It's kind of cringy to listen to now, only so, in so much that like that was such a particular style of music in the early 2000 or early 2010s. But, um, the music is so crucial to the message of this song. So that's, that's my piece. I'm sticking to it. I mean, we said we were going to get heady, so, you know, that's oh, what I, you came here for. I find that fascinating. I, I was planning on getting heady in a whole different way, and we'll get there. So how I hear this song is um, a lot less Nick Cave being angry at other people, and I hear this more as a, way more of a self-loathing song. So Sure. Yeah, I can see that. I think, I mean, this this is a lot more literal than you took it. So I don't think I have as much legwork to do because it's just right there in the lyrics. But it's two uh, two people in a relationship having a conversation. And Nick Cave is the atheist who is just bringing everything down and just being cynical and not fun to be around. And he's saying, look at all this bad shit. Like, look at all the evil in the world. And the girlfriend is like, God doesn't care about the evil or what you think about the evil. God doesn't, God didn't make the world for you to judge it. You have to live your own life and see the beauty in things because what's the point if you don't? And I mean, I think I love I guess, that. I, I th that's as simple as I can make it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can go off from that, but I think it's just two people in a relationship having a conversation about God. I think the cat represents like innocence. The cat mm -hmm. starts with the woman, go jumps over to Nick Cave, and then Nick Cave says something cynical, 
And then the cat ends the song going back to the woman because the woman's like innocent and sees the beauty in the world. And I think me and you, if being like not religious people, like I can relate to that. Like I, I can be a bit around religious people that are talking with all this joy they see. And then I like bring it down by saying some like just dumb shit that wasn't necessary. And then after, after the fact, the next day I'm like, I, why did I need to do that? Like, why did I need to rain on their parade? And I think Isn't song, it interesting? This song is an cave being like, okay, I don't need to bring this energy in the world of being this cynical. This isn't good for anyone. Have you had the revelation in the last like five years of your life? Because we were both pretty staunchly like, fuck, fuck Christianity and fuck Christians. And then I think when we got introduced to me without you in our early 20s, it opened our minds a little bit. And then, you know, you played music with people who were devoutly Christian, but also like people that you really love. And, you know, for me, I kind of started to realize, not even in the last five, like the last 10, and, um, you know, the, a friend of mine, Colin, used to, he told me once, or they told me once, that they're like, why are you, why are you shitting on this just because it's Christian? You, don't, it, you might love this music. Like, just because it's religious doesn't mean that it's not, like, worthy of being listened to. Like, somebody being devout and, like, writing music about their faith, like, what, like, what's different than that than someone who's, like, devoutly Buddhist or someone who's, like, Muslim and prays, you know, I, I don't want to sound ignorant here, but I think they, I think, like, during certain, like, high holidays, they pray, like, five times a day. Um, it, and it, it, it kind of makes you wonder, like, is it really that fun being the, like, being the atheist anymore? Like, I used to love telling people I was atheist because I just loved being that guy who was like, ha oh, ha, I'm so edgy. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't believe in anything. I'm so cool. And you know, I got older and I was like, it's never fun being that way because then like, I think being an atheist, like kind of gives you an excuse to not like think critically or have spirituality. And then I think once I found my own individual spirituality through creating things, music, writing, reading books and comics and like going outside and like having a dog and, you know, dating someone and doing all the things that if you're lucky enough, you get to do like have good friends, have like meaningful conversations. You know, the kitten in her lap to me signifies, like you said, purity, um, youth, like even ignorance. But to me, when I think of a cat, I think of contemplation. I think of like stroking your noggin. Like, you know, whenever you pet an animal, it's supposed to be calming. So it's like you're, you're kind of opening up to that energy. I was going to say something, but so, so what's the question in the past 10 years? Have I felt myself? Have you felt like it's not as fun to be the atheist anymore? Do you feel like it's more, it's, it's more like encouraging and like leading us fruitful life to just like, not necessarily believe in God, but think critically in your own time about developing a relationship, what you view as God. Um, in theory, yes. Like what you said about Christian music, in theory, that sounds great. I don't think I've ever heard Christian music that I like, though. Like it's still like a pretty good barometer for me if I'm going to like something or not. Like well, I like... Oh, go ahead. This is, I don't want this to come off like I'm outright arguing, but I'm saying I think there's a difference between Christian-influenced music and music that is specifically made like that's just like reading Bible verses and stuff like that. Like 
I think me, me, me without you comes, and even Nick Cave, like this music comes with the idea of like spirituality first. Me without you happens to be a Christian band. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Either way, what I'm getting at is I like the idea of being that person, but I don't think I am that person. Like, yeah, I, I don't like I, I, I keep it on the inside because I don't mm-hmm. want to bring other people down. But I yeah. still feel as uh, the same way about God and religion that I felt when I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't. I don't. I don't uh, outwardly. I, I see no purpose in outwardly expressing it to other people because I don't know. It's just like not very positive, and I want to be a positive person. I agree with everything you say. I think I grapple with that too because I always want to be the person like in a conversation which you've experienced where you know it's like no one really likes the person who just brings up like oh factory farming sucks like everybody should stop eating meat because no one likes being told what to do or being informed of things. People have to learn that stuff on their own. I always like being the person who's like out at dinner and you know people are talking about like something that's vaguely related to prison abolition. And I'm like, oh, you know, prison's fucked, right? Bill Clinton, like, killed this guy on death row. And then everyone's kind of looking at me for a second. And then I'm kind of the one that's like, wait, like, is this not what I'm supposed to do? Is this not, like, It's all situational. You got to know your spots. But it's also, like, no one likes, you you shouldn't, you can't be that person all the time or you're never going to, you're never going to actually make the kind of connection. So I don't want to jump too quickly to this, but I think, this does make me wonder, given that you think it's a conversation, why did he choose the word sadly as his sapphire because, side? Because I think that's the whole vibe is he's like the mopey atheist guy. So he's the guy, <laughs> okay. the girlfriend can like look out the window and see all these things happy, yeah. uh, all these things to be joyous about, but uh-huh. he's just the mopey sad guy. Because that's the role you play a lot around religious people if you're not religious. You're the mope. Isn't it funny that this song, I think this song has, um, got Spotify pulled up here. This song has like the, looks like the fourth or fifth most amount of plays on this record, probably because it's the first song. This song almost perfectly encapsulates what Nick Cave talked about in that interview he did with Warren Ellis a couple weeks ago, where he's like, I want to be the optimist, but I'm not, I don't, I just can't play that role. And I'm always more cynical than like Warren or, you know, other, I'm sure other members of the band. And isn't it funny that this, this, this song came out like 20 years ago and this almost perfectly encapsulates what Nick Cave is still doing today. That's sort of what I'm getting at with like the white elephant thing. That's kind of like, it's a beautiful thing and a scary thing about life is that like Mm -hmm. we are both around 30 and I have the same insecurities I did when I was 15. Mm-hmm. And judging by what you said about the Nick K video, we will probably have those same security insecurities when we're 60. And yeah. it's kind of like, there's a beauty in that, but it's also kind of scary that like, the shit you worried about when you were a kid is the shit that's going to follow you your whole life. So, I don't, I think it was Tiger Belly Podcast with Bobby Lee and Kalila Kuhn. They were talking about yeah, it was them. They talked about um, Hiroshima. And it didn't occur to me until I was 30. Like, it's it, what's that Hiroshima. mean? Like, I was... Hiroshima, sorry. Oh, no, sorry. I think you were right. I was just being a jerk. 
Well, I so I had um, I had this like one woman as my teacher in junior year of high school, Amy something, and she you remember she, her she first dressed, name? I don't remember her last name. I find that weird. So she was really weird. She taught chemistry and she dressed like an American girl doll, and she was probably like late thirties. <laughs> That's a hilarious uh, image. You you have you know who she is. I really? know you know who she is. I just can't remember her last I name. Can't, I can't place her because uh, I had the class with James Moore. So no, you might have had it with Max. I had chemistry with James Moore. It doesn't matter. That's why, because you had chemistry with James Moore. Anyway, I had it with Max. You're right. They're twins. Sorry. Um, so anyway, we had to read a book about Hiroshima. Hiroshima. Oh, we read that book too. So what I'm getting at here, uh, yeah, 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 long-winded is that, first of all, besides that book, they did not teach us fucking anything about that. Wasn't it weird that we learned about that stuff in the chemistry class and not in history? Yes, it's very weird. And I'm glad that, I guess, the chemistry teachers at our high school decided as a group to teach everyone about that, but that shouldn't have been on them to do. The, like... I guess there could be a potential pun here, but I don't want to make it to seem insensitive. But the gravity of the of the fact that the United States military and government dropped a nuclear bomb that they'd been and this wasn't the first time that bombs had been dropped. Like like they were testing these nuclear weapons like in other parts of Japan. There's a there's a documentary I need to go back because I want to watch it um, about this stuff. What I'm getting at is that that video made me think like we are faced with the very same kind of ramifications. Like life felt different but similar to how we're living it now. They just didn't have computers back back in the 40s. And there could very like I live in San Diego. It's the biggest military city like in the country, I think. Like we're right on the coast. Um there could very well be a like a nuclear war if like any like insert any country wanted to right now. Like there are so many nuclear weapons just sitting around the planet. And this is sort of a long way of saying like yes, the anxieties that we have with us stick with us forever. I'll always be that little fat kid who got his like rolls pinched on the bus and secretly wanted to like rip those kids apart, but I was so afraid because of my dad that I would go to jail or, I, you know, in that sense, like get ISAP or like um, have to go, you know, go to detention that I just, you know, let people pick on me. And then I just put my headphones in and listen to like Blink-182 and, you know, I don't know. I probably had a bad religion CD I'd borrowed from you at that time. You know, I just put anything in to drown it out. You were treated into art. That's what I did. That's probably what anyone listening to this podcast did. Why we like this? Yeah. Could you imagine if incels chose to retreat into art instead of hating women? They would try to be normal people. I mean, that's like, I mean, everyone's going to live their life the way they want, but like, I I can't think of much more beautiful, a much more beautiful way to deal with the bad things than you have to, if you have to retreat into something, Mm -hmm. why not retreat into something that's beautiful? So I kind of got off on a tangent there, but we were talking about like insecurities. So, Something I wanted to talk about, and I'll, I'm going to ask this question and I'll answer it to give you a minute to think about because this is a pretty heady question. This song, okay, I'm ready. 
this song is about a couple talking about a difference, a fundamental difference they have in their worldview that probably manifests itself in a lot of different ways in their relationship. Like, whether you believe in God or not, probably you don't think matters that much day to day in your relationship. But I bet there's a lot of, like, butterfly effect things it leads to. You know what I mean? Sure. Definitely. So what I wanted to ask you, if you're comfortable being this personal, if not, I'll answer it and we move on, is do you think there's, like, a fundamental difference in worldview you have with your partner? And if not, that's fine. I don't think there's many I have, but I think one is that... I see the worth of my life is like what I create, whether it be mm-hmm. putting this out, whether it be writing short stories and books, whether it be making music, like that is what I see my purpose as, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think for my partner, it's more what she does for other people, how she makes other people feel is much more about connections. It's not about making things. It's about connecting to things. Right. And I think if I was to like really psychoanalyze and think about it, there are probably tons. I bet most of the arguments we have probably go back to that difference in worldview and how we choose to like live our lives, you know? Yeah. So I just wonder if there's anything that came to mind that like is really different. But I, but I think because we have that difference, it's like a good thing because she's a little more social than me. Uh, I'm a little more, I think we're both creative, but I act on the creativity a little bit more. Like we balance each other out that way. Well, I would I would argue too that your partner um, is more experiential. Uh, she likes to experience things, like plays a lot of video games. You know, loves spending time with the dog. And I'm more um, sentimental. I like I like objects. You like objects. You like books. Like collecting. You know, having a I'm library like of knowledge. Emotional. You know. And that's not to say that she's not, but yeah. It's not um, to say that she's not creative. It's not to say that I don't care about other people. It's just like, you know, a generality. So I do have an answer. I'm going to be relatively vague because I don't feel like what I think is a fundamentally different thing. I I feel like she would need to describe that herself. So I don't want to, because I just don't want to say the wrong thing. But I think that they're, they're, they're not like, obviously they're not deal breakers, but there are some things that, um, my partner and I do disagree on worldview wise. And I was actually presented with this really interesting question um, that I sort of just came up with based on having a conversation with her. And, you know, I think there's a big conversation going on right now where people are like, cops suck. Cops are the worst. There's no such thing as a good cop. And there are still a big chunk of people, typically people I don't spend that much time around who defend cops, who say that there are cops who help, there are good cops. But I thought of this really funny scenario. It's only funny to me in like a, like a dark comedy kind of way. So I'll set up the scene here. Uh, yesterday, I was in here. I'd finished working. I was uh, playing some video games before uh, I went on my run. I went on a run last night. So I see this, this person come by and I've got my headphones on. I've got them. I'm in, I'm like into the game. It's an RPG, Final Fantasy IX. So this, this woman walks by. I thought it was like a kid at first. It's like a woman comes by in like a white or a yellow tank top, skinny. 
she's like she's like kind of making these weird noises like ah 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 like kind of like when Larry David like does something stupid and he he like gets embarrassed. And I see her walk by, and then I look at the window because I, I hear blue barking. So I'm like, okay, is somebody knocking on the door? Somebody dropped a package. Maybe there's like a, a homeless person got in here, and they're kind of like, you know, knocking on doors. Um, I have no idea. So I look out the window, and I see Haley's got her arms around this woman. Turns out this woman is our neighbor, and this is a neighbor who constant, like, at least once, if not two or three times a month, has these blowups late at night with her boyfriend where she like throws throws shit out the door. She throws him out. She's cussing at him. You fucking motherfucker. Like, fuck you. Get the fuck out of here. Like, mm-hmm. just like destroys the like calm of our little area of apartments. Um, continually lets this guy come back into her house. It's like, you know, they're thro- like literally we've had moments where we were like, they're going to come through our wall yeah. and we're going to have drywall everywhere. And I know this is a long setup. So what what occurred to me is I watched Haley helping her. This woman was choking on a piece of uh, food. And Haley helped her. Oh, she was like giving her the Heimlich? She gave her the Heimlich. Haley just instinctively. And that's impressive. That's so impressive when people just like fucking spring to action like that. That's bad. She's she's like she's like that. And admittedly, like for me when those things happen, I get really uncomfortable because I like for one thing, I don't really, like, I know the Heimlich Maneuver, but I haven't done it in a long time or practiced it in a long time that I was worried, like, I'd be worried, like, so Haley asked me, what would you do in that situation if somebody was choking? And two thoughts came to mind. The first one is, obviously, I would help them, even if it was awkward. Part of being a human is awkward, and you have to help people. That's a moral code, right? That's, that's like, if you see somebody choking, whether or not you're an awkward motherfucker like me, you, you help them. The other thing is, is like this woman's like fucked with our like livelihoods on multiple occasions. I I, I don't care. It's not like we're in Syria, like living with like drone strikes all the time. Like mm. if you get woken up at like two in the morning with people screaming at each other, throwing shit, like leaving a mess out in your like, you know, foot, like the like walkway of the apartment, there's trash, food, you know, like just treating it like a building as if it's like, you know, there aren't other people living around you. That's disrespectful, right? So I had this kind of thought. I'm like, if you were the wrong kind of person and you knew this, like, do you let this shitty person, <laughs> like, like, I, I, I know I'm getting really dark here, so I just want to let people know that I would, I, you know, I don't, I'm not this type of person, but it did occur to me, like, let's say you're on the street at a Black Lives Matter protest and you see a cop eating something and they choke. And you're the motherfucker who's online being like, fuck cops, all cops are bastards. Do you let that cop die? If you're the only person who sees him somehow, do you let him die or do you help him get that food out of his windpipe? Because there's such a 90, thing right now. I think 99% of people help, help him. They would help. They would help. And... Because your personal beliefs... The, the moral code you have as a person just helps someone who's suffering overtakes whatever beliefs you have in that moment. And isn't that so interesting? Because, because there has never been a time than more so than right now where police officers have like, they're not, they're not, they're like not people are like quitting the police force because they're so unpopular. Now, 
I think there's a reason they're unpopular. It's because for years they've do, been, I mean, they're built on being slave collectors. They, co- they collect, as they were, the police were invented to round up freed slaves or escaped slaves. Um, so, like I said, I, I'm getting pretty heady here, but I just think it's an interesting thing to propose, like, with how much, like, identity politics and stuff like that. Like, you know, that's exactly it, though. You answered my question, which is, like, moral code kicks in. So again, I ask, why is he like, why sit sadly by her side? Why have this argument where like, you, you, you know, the answer at the end of the day. So I think you were, you were answering my question and you got sidetracked. So are, if I can simplify, are you saying that when a situ like when situations arise, the fundamental difference in worldview you two have is that she is instinctual and it, you you take the situation into account before acting. Yep. I think that might just be like a, a male female difference. Like, cause I, I feel that way too. Like I would help the person, but I like think about the surroundings where I feel like Courtney would just like act like it might just be like a, a feminine thing. But what I want to say about this, this cop thing is I think it, is a very similar idea to people who eat meat and a lot of people who eat meat are very uncomfortable with facing the fact that they are eating an animal and like if they saw the cow they wouldn't eat it because mm. they want to eat the meat but they don't want to they don't want to see where it came from they don't want to see the process they just want to enjoy yeah. it and like I think that's very important like if you're going to eat meat like I do you need to know and be thankful and you need to know what you're doing. I, yep. I think it's like, I mean, you, I'm sure you think it's immoral to do it at all. I think it's immoral to not like realize that that was a living thing, but either way, I think it goes back to this cop thing where people like are like, fuck cops, kill all cops. But I don't know if they actually feel that way because if they saw one choking, they wouldn't let him die. I think 99% of people wouldn't because then they would feel like secondhand they murdered him. They could have saved his life and they didn't. And they right. don't actually want to kill the cop. If other people killed the cops, they'd be fine with it, but they don't want to do it. If other people mm-hmm. kill the animals, they'll eat them, but they don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're fine I, with it happening, think... but they don't want to do it. Again, They're fine with eating this... a hamburger, but they don't want to slaughter the cow. This uh, this sort of is a like pivots on the original quote I brought up, which is, "Nor does he care for you to sit at windows in judgment of the world he created." So, again, it's a moment where do you take the world as it is? Do you take your moral code and instinct as it is? Do you take into or you know, do you? interpret it, you know, like you said, um, anticipate, analyze the situation, you know, think critically about something. I think um, the song is saying, like, it's the Ram Dass thing. I think the song is just saying to be in the moment. It's yeah. saying, like, God doesn't care how you judge the world. God just wants you to live in the world. Like, just and live in the situation. Don't judge. What me. I'm trying to get at is that if you, if you, um, remove the Black Lives Matter protester who is online, you know, saying all cops need to die or, you know, defund the police. And then you, you place them next to a police officer 
And if you think about it, is there really a more innocent way, like a more sort of like, you don't look very attractive when you're choking. You don't look good. You're helpless. Like you immediately become a baby. And is there a better way to judge character than being like, like, it's like, it's like the meat thing that you said, like, you might be okay, not necessarily, not you necessarily, but you might be okay with the animal dying. But then it's like, if somebody were to videotape you killing the cow with your bare hands, like you, you can't use an air gun, like you have to use it as an animal. Cause that's the argument, right? It's like, we're, we're the primary predator. So we should be able to kill the animal without a gun. Like we should be able to use our bare hands. So it's like, if you imagine like a protester who hates cops, letting a, like a cop choke in front of them, that's a really powerful image. Just as much as imagining a man bludgeoning a cow with his fists and legs, just even though he's got like celery and lettuce and tofu, like to the left, he's still going out of his way to kill this animal. So do you see what I'm getting at? Is it, it, it is very much so like when you're in the present, this is very dark, but, or it's uh, uncomfortable for me to talk about, but when you're in the present, like the song is suggesting, the conversation is moot because at the end of the day, if somebody is in trouble, we are inherently going to help them or you should inherently help them. And if you don't, <laughs> then you are like your benevolence el elsewhere doesn't matter because you yeah, like, even not, if you, you're not participating in the human experience. Exactly. So this, this makes me yeah. think of like one of the most disgusting things when it comes to like how people will prey upon human kindness like that. And oh. you bring up these protests makes me think about how like, the right wing loves to, because people are ultimately kind, I believe, they love to prey on that. And they'll mm -hmm. show these pictures of like a Black Lives Matter protest giving a bottle of water to a cop who's like dehydrated. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they'll try to use that picture to be like, you know, there, there's common ground. We like each other. And I hate that. Like, yeah, it's predatory. Anyone's going to help uh, someone who is like having a heat stroke. That doesn't mean they like them. Those pictures are built for Facebook algorithms I for know, people like, like age 40 and above. It doesn't like, really mean they're built for it that. It just means that like no one wants someone to like die, but like that doesn't mean they like them just because and, and then, a cop gave a hamburger to a protester doesn't mean things are good. Let's and let's and this and, and let me just reiterate like picture wise like Ian and I here, like, so to speak, we're doing it over Zoom, but we are each kind of like s sitting sadly by each other's sides. Like, you know, we disagree on some big topics, but overall we love each other and agree on, you know, basic humanity kind of things, I would say. Could I, could I go so far as to say that? You'd I agree? think we are very similar, yes. Uh so let's take this scenario where we are sort of discussing these things and they're not necessarily like happy things. So let's say let's let, going off what you said about the, the, you know, the picture of the protester giving a cop a bottle of water. So let's say that there was a moment where a protester looks a cop in the eyes and like, it's like that Radiohead song. Like I watch, like you like watch them choke. Like, when you think of that, you think of like something that would happen in a movie, like um, spoiler alert, it happens in Breaking Bad, um, where Walter White watches a woman choke because 
her dying means that his cook uh, is less distracted mm. and, you know, he was getting addicted to heroin. But, like, that's really scary, right? Is, I mean, that's fucked up. Mm. Like, you, you, he, like, that's why that show and, and, like, The Sopranos and, like, all these anti, kind of, anti-hero shows are, like, or pro-villain even, like, are so innocuous and um, inviting to audiences is because most of us don't operate like these people. Um, and then imagine if that story broke protest, you know, black lives matter protester lets a cop choke. I mean, how much more fodder does the right wing get for that kind of thing happening? Either way, either way, the other side wins because yeah, they can use the kindness as an example of things are okay. And then they can use the Mm -hmm. malevolent act is like, all these people are so horrible. And it's kind of like, I creep, I creep on my uncle's Facebook just to see what, that group of people thinks like, and I can just see him posting something like, looks like, you know, you know, he'll come up with some like, you know, thing that Trump would say about, you know, to be demeaning to black people. And, you know, it looks like black lives matter, you know, uh, buttheads are out here, you know, pretending they love the cops now. Like what's really your, like, what's really your position, you know, do nothing Democrats like backing, you know, that, you know, that kind of bullshit, you know? So, I think what it comes uh, down to is, like, people want redemption. Or, yeah. I guess, I don't know what people on the right, like, I really don't know what they want. I guess I can't really, like, I don't know what a right-wing person wants out of the world. But I can say what yeah. we want out of the world is redemption, and I want people to be better. So, I can say fuck all cops. Like, I don't think there's such thing as a good cop. But I don't want them to die. I want them to be better people. If they die, and also, they can never become better people. Like, we I want them. We. I want people to sorry, fi- grow finish, and improve. Sorry. But we say stuff like that. We say F- fuck him. He can choke. You know, I've said that about like I've shitty said people. It too, like, but I don't I've said think about actually, Trump. I don't think we actually mean it. And that's the thing is like the the people that get angry enough to go out and kill cops. Like I can understand the anger. I don't understand the motive. Yeah. And. The thing is, is that we'll say that all day, but if I'm out by a police officer, I put my head down, I'm terrified. Like, I want nothing to do with this fucking person. I want to walk by because these, these people in my head, they're like, they'll kill my dog, they'll kill me, they'll kill my girlfriend, just in the event that they got a tip off that I have drugs and like I happen to be a drug dealer or something, you know? And I'm not saying I, as a white man, is, I'm like the primary you know, person, like target for a cop, but like, no, you're pretty safe, but like I have that same fear. So like, yeah, I can only Every, imagine and, and, if I have that fear as a white guy. Like, what fear does a it's white just amplified have? for yeah. people who are like? I mean, we don't need no to say it. it's be been afraid. reiterated. I'm still afraid. Yeah, I mean, there, there. I mean, this, this is evidence that we are living in. My, it's fun. It's funny. My dad was the most like conservative, like shitty racist guy ever. Um, and he would still say things like, "We're going to be living in a police state. You just watch." And it's so funny that these people, like, my dad would say things like that, but then he would be racist and he wouldn't be able to understand, like, how dangerous racism is. So, anywho, um, I wanted to bring up, like, did you think it was interesting at all that this was one of the first singles from this album? No, because I think this kind of touches on the theme of the record, and it's relatively more upbeat than the other songs musically it's it's not a slow song it's got drums it's got a guitar line um 
And I think they were coming off a of Boatman's Call, which was a, a love record. Mm-hmm. And then they lead with a single that is a love song, but it's much more contemplative. And it's, you know, about a disagreement or relationship, like a fundamental worldview disagreement. It, it's like, yeah. you know, it's a cool way to go into the next era. Like, I'm kind of doing what I was doing on the last record, but in a way different way. And... uh I think this album was pretty big for he had gotten off of a heroin addiction again, right? I don't know. I don't know what the time frames are. It, it says in the on his Wikipedia page for this record, um, he had to overcome heavy heroin and alcohol addictions in the years leading up to writing this record. So I'd imagine that the sort of like sad, tragic, downtrodden feeling of this like intro track which I'll just say to sort of finalize my feelings as far as like the track as a whole. Um, this is a, it's insane that it's an intro. I wish that it had more of an ending feel because it feels very kind of like anti Nick cave up to this point and, and after even like it's very like spoken wordy and kind of like it could, it could have been a B side for a letter to Cynthia, you know, like he could have, like it sounds a lot like that kind of thing. Um, I know it came out like 20 years ago, but you get what you get what I'm trying to say. This is a really, really beautiful song. It's not one of my favorites, but it's it makes me excited to listen to this record more. And um, I guess it the album art and the the like subject matter of this song, like like you had said earlier, Ian, is like it's contemplative in a way that I don't really feel like he gets as often on records before and after this one but yeah, that might I, be a stretch no for sure i mentioned how um was it on carnage it felt like he wasn't playing the character of nick cave he was just being nick cave this is another mm-hmm. one of those songs where it's like the rare moment where i feel like the character of nick cave is completely gone in this song yeah yeah so that's absolutely that's kind of cool to, to see the last thing jake that light looks awesome you look like <laughs> it looks like the music video uh, for the song. I love that fucking yeah. That's why I like that show on HBO Euphoria so much because they just do shit like that. The lighting episode. is so good. Um, uh, what, what were you saying though? The last thing I wanted to say about this song is, for me, the most like soul crushing part is the end of the song, where she starts crying and then he says he's smiling. Yeah, because like, I think it's basically like. His cynicism about the world has upset her so much that she's crying, and mm-hmm. he he's happy about that because he's like, "Oh, I ruined I ruined her high. I ruined her good day," and that's heavy because I don't think I've been that person lately. But there have been times in my life where like I think someone's being naive and I just shut them down, and then you get this like fucked up satisfaction of like. Yeah having them come to your cynical side. And that's a sucky thing that we do. There is a friendship that I had that ended, um, that I won't go into detail in on this, that um, that person uh, made you feel that way. And it wasn't a good feeling. And I've done that to people too, but they genuinely liked, you know, bringing they spent down. a bringing people down and I think they were a hurt person and damaged in a lot of ways. And I think that that's the smile is like this really depressing. 
Yeah, when he says yeah. he smiled about it, you can be like, everyone probably has some time in their life where they were that person. And you're like, oh, yeah, man, that feels horrible I, that I was happy about that. On sort of a personal account, like, I wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't smile during this, but there have been times in my relationships where my significant other will go out of their way to plan these really nice, like, trips or, like, surprise me with, like, a birthday cake. And I remember an ex of mine did that, and it was my birthday, and I just wasn't in a good mood the whole day. And she, like, broke down at night, and she was like, I don't know what to do to make you happy. And I wasn't smiling, but I, this, this sentiment reminds me of that. And it reminds me of like being a kid and like sowing like seeds of trouble with, between my parents, you know, bad seeds, if you want to call them. And hey. I would just like be like, oh, well, dad said this about you. Like I would just tell my mom that, you know, I was like eight or nine. And my dad talked shit, shit about our mom to us our whole lives, like so much so that when they got, when my mom filed for divorce, it wasn't surprising to me. I was just like, yeah, you guys kind of hated each other. So I'm not that surprised that that happened. So that line is devastating. I'm kind of just like reflecting on it right now. But yeah, you like, I mean, I think any, I had divorced parents and I think anyone who does like plays the parents against each other. And then you do that knowing it's going to mm-hmm. make them sad. And you're like, why did I yeah. do that? Like, what did I get There's out a, of it? Yeah, I had those. I had. I didn't understand them, but I had those kind of revelations as yeah. a kid. And then, Well, yeah, you're when a kid, you don't o- know what you're doing. But, like, mm-hmm. later in life, you're just like, what was the goal? Like, why? Like, why do people do that to each other? Well, what it taught me as an adult is that if you talk shit about your wife or your husband to your children, then your children think that love means that you talk shit about people. Yeah. So it's a pretty fucked up thing to do to a kid because, you know, I'll have moments where I'll complain about my significant other, which I do very rarely now. It took me, it was a very bad habit where I would just vent to people. And then, you know, she never felt comfortable going or like being around like my close friends because, you know, I'd be like, oh, I was talking to, you know, so-and-so about this thing that you did. And, you, you know, she'd always the be bad like, "What?" Parts because you don't feel exactly. the need to say the good parts. And and I think that's that sentiment is really like relevant to this song too, where it's like, how can you say that you love someone, but like this was probably always a conundrum for you being a close friend of mine. Is like in all of the beginnings of the relationships I've been in, all I would do is complain about the person, but I would never tell you the good things. So all you saw was your friend unhappy about something, and not focusing on the good things. You know, mm. and. I'm not as wired like that anymore, but it is difficult. Like, I, I mean, working on my book this last week has been a slog because I have to be like, oh my God, like I fucking suck at writing. Like no one's going to buy this fucking book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, fuck this. I don't want to finish it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to like jump into my next idea. But it's, but so it's like, you have to, you have to beat that voice out of you. You have to kill that smile that wants to come across your face when you when you see a building burning like you you can't there's no reason to be a tortured person when you can choose to pet the cat embrace innocence and appreciate it don't break someone else's don't pop someone's bubble 
if it doesn't need to be popped. It's like telling a kid that Santa doesn't exist. Fuck you. That's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly like that. I think yeah. that's a good place to end this episode. The song was, as I said, sadly, by her side. Uh, Jake, I think that was a very beautiful conversation. I was glad to have with you. I love you, and I love that talking about these songs can bring this kind of stuff out of us. You know what I mean? I love you, too. Thanks for being so open with me, as always. Um, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, check us out at Jubilee Street Pod on Instagram. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. Just look up Jubilee Street Podcast. Um, we, I'm trying to work on getting a little more engagement there, but um, obviously anyone who is on the Facebook page is seeing I'm dragging my feet. So I'll see what I can do, um, but I want to get some more viewers. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Instagram's like Facebook anyway, so you should just follow us on Instagram. It's a better platform. It's easier, to, it's easier for us to do content. Um, and then email us at jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. We're actually like... I'm kind of just pitching this idea now, but um, I do this every once in a while. Like, send us some questions you have for us. Like, if you if you've had a question that you want to ask us, even if it's just like, why the, why do you guys do a podcast? You suck. Send it in. Like, we'll answer it. We might email back, and then if we like them, like maybe we'll read them on the podcast and we'll shout you out, and you know you'll get your name read as like a supporter of the podcast. You know that's pretty cool. So um, yeah, uh, and then uh, Ian, before we close it out, what was the name of the album this song was from again? No more shall we part. No more shall we what? Oh, sorry. I don't know what album that is. No more shall we part. <laughs> there we go. All right. Love you, listeners. Love you, cave fans. Talk to you soon. God has given you but one heart. You are not a home for the hearts of your brothers. And God don't care if you're benevolence anymore. And he cares for the lack of it in others Not as he care for you to sit at Windows in judgment of the world he created While sorrows pile up around you Ugly, useless and old